Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org friendshipwithgod.org or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Before you tell me anything about your problems, just answer one question for me. Who are you mad at? That was what he would do. (laughs) And the reason is, is because invariably he found that people's psychological problems stemmed from a root of bitterness. They're mad. So Joseph's struggle, he says, I'm not gonna be mad at my, my brothers. He's struggling against bitterness. It's not just when he was in prison. All of his life, he has to do this. It's kind of like dieting. You never diet and lose the weight. And you're always struggling. Anyway, and so what he does, what he does later on when you know he gets out of the prison and uh, he gets this wonderful wife, she's the priestess' daughter, I don't know. But anyway, they have children. Chapter 41 it says, chapter 41, in verse 50, chapter 41, 50, it says, And unto Joseph were born two sons before the years of famine came, which Asenath, the daughter of Potipharah, priest of On, bare unto him. And Joseph called the name of his firstborn Manasseh. Manasseh. For God said he hath made me forget all my toil and all my father's house. And the name of the second called he Ephraim, Ephraim. For God hath caused me to be fruitful in the land of my affliction. So he's named these two sons here. In the name of these sons, we can see that Joseph is continuing to battle against bitterness. Because the first name he gives to Manasseh, it means forgetting, forgetting. And he says he called him that because God made me to forget all my toil and all my father's house. So that means if you came to Joseph and you said, what do you mean you were stolen? Don't you remember what really happened? Don't you remember how your brothers envied you and they hated you? Don't you remember how your brothers tried to kill you? How they stripped you of your coat and how they hurled you into this waterless pit in the desert to die of thirst? And how you cried out to them? Don't you remember how they sold you as a slave? And you know what Joseph would say? Joseph would say, you know, I really can't remember any of that. (laughs) He would have said, and if you pushed him, you said, look, Joseph, look, Joseph. You know what he would do? He would go grab his son. He would say, Manasseh, Manasseh. (laughs) He'd say, forgetting, forgetting. You know, I really forgotten about all that. And so he names his son Manasseh. When he says that, he's making a deliberate decision to go on in life and forget about the wrong. And then if you said, okay, Manasseh, you forgot about all the wrong that was done to you. Now, what do you remember? What do you remember? That's what Joseph would hold up his other son. Where is that little guy? Here he is. Hold up there. He'd say, Ephraim, Ephraim. He said, fruitful, fruitful. God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. So with the naming of the second son, Ephraim, Joseph has actually brought himself 
to be thankful to his brothers for being responsible to send him into Egypt. Because if he never got to Egypt, then he never would have been Ephraim. He never would have been so, so fruitful. And this is what Joseph told his brothers in, in Genesis chapter 50, verse 20. In Genesis 50, verse 20, he said, but as for you, you thought evil against me, but God meant it unto good to bring to pass as it is this day to save much people alive. So rather than to focus on the evil that they meant against him, Joseph, and dwell on that, Joseph chose to sit back and say, you know what, I'm just gonna think about all the good that God made to happen to me. So, and then Joseph further is gonna say to his brothers in Genesis 45, 5, Genesis 45, 5, he said, now therefore be not grieved nor angry with yourselves that you sold me hither, for God did send me before you to preserve life. For these two years have the famine been in the land, and yet there are five years in the which there shall be neither earing nor harvest. And God sent me before you to preserve you a posterity in the earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So it was not you that sent me hither, but God. And he hath made me a father to Pharaoh and lord of all his house and a ruler throughout all the land of Egypt. So what we see Joseph doing here is he's resisting becoming bitter by seeing God's hand working through his brother's to the point where Joseph now tells his brothers, you didn't send me to Egypt, God sent me to Egypt. And he's just let that thought just overcome him, overwhelm him, so to speak, and, and fill all his vision, and he just didn't have room to be bitter and angry at them. Okay, now, verse one now, chapter 41. So now we come to Pharaoh's dream, where we read in verse one. And it came to pass at the end of two full years that Pharaoh dreamed, and behold, he stood by the river. So now, Pharaoh is standing by the river. You don't have to say which river this is. <laughs> okay. There's only one river, right? The word Nile does not appear in the Bible, okay? It's the river, you know. Egypt is such a remarkable country because Egypt has life. It has so much agriculture, and it's a, it's a place of food and prosperity, but it's surrounded by deserts of death. I mean, if you look at Egypt, you know, you know, to the east, you've got the Sinai Desert, you know, and to the west, you've got the Sahara Desert, and then down the south, you've got the Kalahari Desert. So it's just right in the middle of these deserts of death. And yet this river just, it irrigates Egypt, and it's so fruitful. The snow in the highlands, the snow in the highlands, along with the torrential rains, which fall in Ethiopia, which fall in Sudan, then form the blue and the white Nile, and then they flow in there, and they bring with them, when you look at that, up, especially in the northern part of Ethiopia around Gondar, where it starts up there, and you look at the water that's flowing there, it's like red. It's red. Why is it red? Because it's carrying with it a suspension of fine red soil that is collected all along the way as it's traveled. It's remarkable. Now, if the Nile does not overflow its banks, then the crops in Egypt fail. And so for Pharaoh, when he's standing there by the river, it's more than just a river. It's the life of Egypt. It's the condition of Egypt. And he sees himself standing there. And so then he's got his, you know, he sees himself in a dream. He's got his attention. Then he sees cattle coming out of the river. Now that would be a shocking sight. <laughs> cattle don't, cattle can't live underwater <laughs> or eat underwater, but they come out of the water. Okay. Cattle were very important in Egypt. The bull 
was Israel's idol or Israel's symbol for the Nile River. And they called that Osiris, Osiris. And they believed that that's who gave them agriculture, that false god. And the cow, the cow, it was Egypt's symbol for their god, Osiris. And that was, they believed that that made the earth fertile from agriculture. They're very important symbols, the cow and the bull. And so what Pharaoh is seeing now in his dream is the river that his country is totally dependent on, and out of this river comes the symbol for agriculture and fertility, the soil fertility. So for us, the dream may not have meant that much. Well, I think it would have caught our attention, but anyway, for him, it meant a whole lot to do because it was all about Egypt's survival, all about Egypt's survival through agriculture. Now, Pharaoh sees seven cattle that come out of the river and they're fat and they're grazing in a meadow. And then he sees after that seven what are called ill-favored or really thin cattle. And according to verse 19 in this chapter, Pharaoh says he's never seen cattle so thin, as thin as that. He's never seen anything terrible looking as those cattle. And so he sees then these, these thin cattle, they also emerge out of the river like the fat cattle did. And then he sees something fantastic. The thin cattle eat up the fat cattle. Okay, now, no, the cattle don't eat cattle. So, you know, that's another thing. There's so many things in this dream, you know, but it's got his attention. So at this point, we can imagine that Pharaoh is wondering, you know, was it something I ate the night before? I mean, why am I dreaming these things, you know? So according to verse four, though, the dream is so startling that he wakes up out of his sleep. And again, like I said, he's wondering, you know, well, you know, anyway. So he decides, he says to himself, okay, let's forget it. I'll go back to sleep again. See, this all happens in one night. So in verse five, he goes back to sleep and now he dreams a second time. And now you notice that, by the way, in all these, these dreams he's got here, just look at how many times the word behold you know, appears because it's like, you know, when you look at this, you know, and so in these first seven verses here, first seven verses, you got the word behold because it's so shocking for Pharaoh. So in the second dream, he sees this one stalk of corn. It doesn't come out of the river. It's just a stalk of corn, okay? And then he sees seven fat ears of corn on that one stalk. And then he sees on the same stalk, now he sees this corn. He's, the, the, the same stock has now produced seven thin ears that are blasted, they're withered by, by the east wind. Now he knew all too well about the east wind, the so-called east wind. This is a, this is a, this is a hot, dusty wind that blows off into the Sahara. Sahara is a huge desert. And this is the most feared wind in Egypt because it, it destroys crops. It will it'll actually dry wood out and disintegrate wood. And it has a name, Tasman, it's called. But, and it travels up from Africa, from the southeast. And it, when it blows over this blast furnace of the Sahara Desert, it picks up a lot of heat and it also picks up a lot of dust. I remember one time flying to Ethiopia from London and we, we had crossed over the Mediterranean. We just got into northern Africa there. And I looked down, and you couldn't see the land. And it was all brown, you know. And so I, you know, I said, what's that? And they said, oh, that's that wind. And it, it goes everywhere. And in Ethiopia, it was there. It goes everywhere. Crops are destroyed. As a matter of fact, that's the reason why I wear glasses today. You know, for almost 50 years, I wore contact lenses. And when we landed there, this dust, which is everywhere, it just blew into my eyes and so, you know, I made the fatal error of doing this, you know, and scratched my corneas really bad. So anyway, 
I bear in my body the marks of the east wind. What can I say? <laughs> so, okay. So Pharaoh sees these thin ears that have been blasted by the east wind, and they eat up the fat ears of corn. And that's shocking because corn doesn't eat corn. So now it's just, it's way too much. It's too much for him. So, you know, he's dreamed the second dream. It's very much like the first dream. There, there's a lot of similarities in here in between these two dreams. And he's thinking to himself, there's got to be some important message in this. And I don't know what it is. And I need to know because it's obviously very important. So this all happens in one night. And Pharaoh has these two dreams. And he's seeing himself in both of the dreams. And they're so real to him. These dreams are so real to him that it says in verse 7, Pharaoh awoke. And behold, it was a dream, you know? That means he, did, he thought he was really there. He thought it was so, you know, IMAX, Technicolor, 3D, <laughs> that he was, it was like, this is reality. He was surprised that, oh, you mean it's really a dream? You know, when he woke up, that's what happened. So he was so engaged, he was so alarmed that when he woke up, that all he could think about was, as it says in verse eight, it came to pass in the morning, his spirit was troubled. His spirit was troubled. Now, what was troubling to him was the similarities. He saw himself in both of the dreams. There was the number seven in both of the dreams. There was the, the good came first, and then the bad came in both the dreams. And the bad destroyed the good in both the dreams. So he's got, he can see the essence of the dreams, but he doesn't know what they mean. And they're so real to him. And so, you know, why are they disturbing? Because in both the dreams, it's not a, and Pharaoh and Egypt live happily ever after, okay? That's not these dreams. So he realizes that these dreams are a warning. They're a definite warning of something that's coming, and he's got to do something, but he doesn't know what's coming, and he doesn't know what he's got to do. And this is troubling to his spirit. So what is he going to do? Okay, so we read here in verse 8, it says, he sent and called for all the magicians of Egypt. I mean, I don't know, but I guess they must have been in town for some magician's conference or something like that. I don't know. But, and all the wise men, or maybe they just, that's where they lived. Okay, all the wise men thereof. So here they all come. Now you gotta try to picture this. Here they all come. All the magicians of Egypt, all the wise men of Egypt. Who are these people? Who are these people? Okay, who are these magicians, you know? Where else have we seen the magicians and the wise men in the Bible of Egypt. Moses, Moses, Moses. Yes, it's Moses, exactly. Yeah, in Exodus chapter seven, we get introduced to these characters. Okay, Exodus chapter seven, verse 10, when Moses and Aaron went into Pharaoh for their first meeting there, and Moses was nervous about that meeting. So he said to God, you know, um, I've never done this before. <laughs> Gone into Pharaoh and told him, let the Jewish people go. So uh, what if he doesn't believe me? And God told him, says, no problem. Take your rod, throw it down, it'll become a snake. So he goes in with this confidence. You can see the confidence, you know. So it says there in, in Exodus seven ten, Moses and Aaron went in unto Pharaoh and they did so as the Lord had commanded. And Aaron cast down his rod before Pharaoh and before its servants and it became a serpent. So, you know, it was always Aaron. You know, Aaron was his unfortunate sidekick. And that's because, you know, he argued with God about he couldn't speak. So Aaron, so God said, okay, I'll get somebody who can speak. You know, get somebody who caused you a lot of trouble also, but never mind. So he's there throwing the rod down and it becomes a serpent. Then it says, in verse 11 of Exodus 7, it says, then Pharaoh also called the wise men 
and sorcerers. Now the magicians of Egypt, they also did in like manner with their enchantments. For they cast down every man his rod and, and they became serpents. Only Aaron's rod swallowed up their rods. Must have been quite a sight there, you know? I mean, it's like, boy. All right, but anyway, we don't want to talk too much about that. Otherwise, we'll waste our whole time here. So, well, it's not a waste, but we, but we want to stay with where we are. Okay, so anyway, so the point is, is that in this passage in Exodus 7, the word enchantment is used. It says there, then, now the magicians of Egypt, they also did in like manner with their enchantments. It's a very interesting Hebrew word for enchantments. It means something that comes out of fire, the blaze of fire. So the magicians in Egypt, they use these impressive enchantments. And, you know, you got to realize that when you're talking about magic, and I'm not talking about the magic where there's really, you know, an optical illusion. I mean, real magic, it's coming from Egypt. Egypt is a center for magic. I mean, it's a center for these magical methods of enchantments here. Magicians in Egypt were schooled in magical methods of enchantments. I mean, Egypt had refined these methods of demonic magic, demonic magic, and they had categories, you know, specialty, you know, like a doctor, you could go specialize in this magic or that magic, you know. So they had different fields of magic, and you might be a magician who specialized in defensive magic, you know, to be used in protection from your enemies. Or you might be a magician who specialized in black magic or voodoo magic to to be used in offensive against your enemies. Or you might be a magician who specialized in fortune telling or soothsaying, in other words, to tell the future. Or you just may be a magician that specialized in wonder working magic to impress. You know, you'll probably be the ones who'd be called to throw the broads down. Okay, this was Egypt. Egypt is a center for magic. And these magicians align themselves with demonic forces. They refine this, this method of aligning themselves with demonic forces, with powers of darkness to accomplish what was otherwise not possible to do and which could not be explained. Okay, you couldn't stand from a certain angle and say, oh, I see how he did that. No, this was Egypt. Egypt was the center of this superstition, of this mysticism, of this magic, of this alignment with demonic forces This is why Jewish mysticism, which is known as Kabbalah or Kabbalah, came out of Egypt. It came out of Egypt. See, Kabbalah teaches that there are hidden messages in the Bible through numbers. Through numbers. It's called numerology. That letter represents this letter. You added, oh, what do you know? See, that's numerology. And this all came from Egypt, it all came from the land of mysticism and magic. So Pharaoh has called for all of them here, and they all come in. And if you can picture this, they have their bright clothing, and they're wearing all sorts of symbols, and they've got herbs. And some of these, they they like to cut herbs during their magical enchantments to bring an odor into the room. This helped them to get the demonic spirits to work with them. And then they have the magic dust, and they have the charms, and they have the rods, all this magic, and they got music, and they got fire, and each magician now, he's going through his specific method to call the demons to help him or help them interpret Pharaoh's dreams. Now, 
let's remember here that these magicians were successful in working with the demons. And in Exodus, it's, I told you, they, they not only turned the rods, their rods, into snakes, but they also, they, they copied several of the plagues. For example, the plague of turning the water into blood. It says in Exodus 7.21, Exodus 7.21, the fish that was in the river died, the river stank. The Egyptians could not drink of the water of the river. There was blood throughout all the land of Egypt. And the magicians of Egypt did so with their enchantments. So they turned water into blood too. And then they also, they also copied the plague of frogs, the frogs. It says in Exodus 8, 7, Exodus 8, 7, and the magicians did so with their enchantments and brought up frogs upon the land of Egypt. They did the frog plague. They also, they copied lice. In Exodus 8, 18, Exodus 8, 18, the magicians did so with their enchantments to bring forth lice. All right, they may have had trouble with that one, by the way, because then it says, but they could not. But okay. <laughs> so, but nevertheless, the magicians were this group that had power, they had demonstrated power, and they were all brought in by Pharaoh. Now there's a second group that assembles with Pharaoh, and they're called all the wise men, all the wise men. So these wise men are the philosophers. You know, they're the learned ones. These are the men who know all kinds of, they possess knowledge of all things that are unknown and that are secrets. They specialize in knowing secrets, you know. So this is quite an interesting group that we got here. So they assembled in front of Pharaoh here. We've got these magicians with all their specialties and we have these wise men of Egypt. So now they're all gathered together there and everyone listens carefully to Pharaoh's dream. And so he tells them about his dreams, and then they all swing into action. You know, it kind of reminds you a little bit about the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel when Elijah challenged them to have Baal send down fire and consume a sacrifice on the altar. And what it says there in 1 Kings 18.26, it says, they took the bullock which was given them, and they dressed it and called on the name of Baal from morning uh, even until noon, saying, O Baal, hear us. But there was no voice, nor any that answered. And they leaped upon the altar, which was made. And then it says a couple of verses lower, in 1 Kings 18.28, 1 Kings 18.28, and they cried aloud and cut themselves after their manner, this is what they did, with knives and lancets till the blood gushed out upon them. So that was something. So you think of that scene, and now you go back into Pharaoh, and you think of a similar scene. Here's all these magicians, all these wise men, and they're listening to Pharaoh tell his dreams, and then they all swing into action. And you could just imagine what must have been going on there. I mean, the magicians were having, the fires were blazing, the smoke is rising, the dust is flying all over, the magic dust is flying all over the place. The charms are, are going into use. The music is playing, they're dancing their dances, they're cutting their herbs, and they're bringing out all their magic potions. And then, you know, so you have this group that's doing that. And then over in the corner, you have the wise men, and they're just sitting there thinking like this, you know. <laughs> and so, and there's Pharaoh, and he's watching all this, and he's in this state of extreme frustration and a troubled spirit. And he's saying, well, 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 when are you going to tell me? When are you going to tell me? And finally comes the result in verse 8. There was none that could interpret unto Pharaoh. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. 
Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org to sign up for his daily devotional verse. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestoration.org. Or you can write Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711-330, P.O. Box 711-330, Santee, California. That's S-A-N-T-E-E, Santee, California, 92071. Or you can email Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. Sunday Night Church is back. Join Friendship with God Bible teacher Tom Cantor at the new Friendship with God Fellowship every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California. Join us early each Sunday at 4.30 p.m. for food and fellowship with Sunday evening services to follow at 5.30 p.m. Watch Tom Cantor and the service on YouTube Live, located on the Friendship with God website. Enjoy encouraging teaching from our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, in a relaxed and family-friendly atmosphere. Sunday Night Church is back, so join us at the Friendship with God Fellowship every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at the Creation and Earth History Museum at 10946 Woodside Avenue North in Santee, California. For more information, call us at 800-247-3051, 1-800-247-3051, or visit friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org for the Friendship with God Fellowship.